0: Good evening and welcome to episode 356 of the Private Property Podcast. I'm your host, Uzama Kumalo. It's a Tuesday edition of the Private Property Podcast and if you join us for the first time, welcome to the biggest property show in South Africa, catering to all of your property needs. Make sure that you follow us across our social media platforms and of course, Catch up on all the great episodes that you have already missed out on. And all our regular viewers on Facebook, on YouTube, as well as on Instagram, welcome back. You know how we do it. Every single weekday, you and I have an appointment at 7pm where I'm always in conversation with a property expert who helps us navigate our property journey. And it doesn't matter where you are on your property journey, whether you're looking to start out, you've already got your feet wet, or of course looking to grow your portfolio, this is your one-stop shop on all things relating to property. And of course, you can also catch the other great shows that we've got across Private Properties' social media pages uh, every single weekday at 8 p.m. As Wednesday, ST Carson will be bringing you the first time home buyers show and you can catch it every single Wednesday at 8 p.m. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, Umbali brings you the farming podcast, tackling all things agriculture on the show. And on Mondays and Fridays, Chad brings us the Home Shoppers show where he takes us through incredible properties that you can find on www.privateproperty.co.za. Do make sure that you go to our website, not only to look at the gorgeous properties, of course, to search for uh, whether it's a property to rent or a property to buy, but also go to our advice section uh, where you can really get good insights that can help you on your property journey. And you can follow myself at zamantumwa underscore K on Instagram and on Twitter, always talking everything property. Now, you know, this evening's conversation is one that, Absolutely fascinates me. I was we were already having a pre the interview before the interview uh with my guest off air. And that's how you know it's good. I think a, a part of me wanted our conversation to continue uh off air. But I thought, you know what, let, let, let's let's make sure we make this circle bigger. And certainly, of course, invite you at home um, as we talk about something that we, we don't speak a lot about on this show. And and I think this is also one of the reasons why I'm so excited um about it this evening. We're talking about the RDP resale market. And I'm joined this evening by Chrissy Rust, who's an executive director at the Center for Affordable Housing. Chrissy, good evening, and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. You know, Chris, it's only a pleasure to have you on the show. I think before we even look at you know the resale, the RTP resale market and looking at uh, you know how the uh, market in its entirety looks like, I think first let's start with the Centre for Affordable Housing. What is the centre? What work does the centre do? I mean, I was saying to you off air that we haven't, uh, you know, had somebody from your team, and really wanted to get our give our viewers a good sense of, you know, the incredible work that the centre does uh, before we we tackle this uh, topic this evening.
1: Super. Thanks. Um, we're we're a policy think tank, um, an NGO that supports investment in affordable housing. Um, we are supported by a number of funders, and our work covers the whole continent. We look at we undertake research, we collect data and and undertake market analytics on that data to support the investment in bar- argument for affordable housing. Um, in doing that, we 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 work with investors, we work with policymakers, we work with financiers, with developers all to identify what is the particular niche in a particular country. Um, the, uh, we started in South Africa, and we live here. So so there, our greatest depth is in this country. And here we've been working for, oh gosh, for, I mean, the center was founded in 2014. But prior to that, we've been working since, since early 2000s. Focusing on South Africa's residential property market with a specific focus on the affordable market and on low-income households and their ability to access housing um, within the South African housing environment.
0: Mm-mm-mm. And I'm already seeing some of the love that we're getting on our social media pages, especially Facebook. I know that a lot of you who weren't able to access us on Facebook two days ago absolutely love that we're back on. Uh, Paulina Kossi is watching, full of fellow Hope, who's also watching, Sandy Stemmett uh, sending through those green hearts. Uh, you know, Kosia. Yeah, so I think one of the, the the things that I'm I'm keen for us to explore, and um, you know, as a centre, especially as you say, you know, you're not only based uh, or you don't only do research search in South Africa when we look at you know, investment in affordable housing, perhaps can you give us a sense of what the market is like when you look at affordable housing in, you know, in South Africa? Because I think more often than not, this is that sphere that uh, gets spoken about and you know some people have all kinds of assumptions when it comes to that particular um, you know, market segment and some of the assumptions are unfortunately very off and you know some of it is great and it's just always contested ideas when it comes to the affordable housing space um, in South Africa, on the one hand, we can have, you know, policy that says X, Y, Z, and we'll talk a bit about that later on. And different people have various sentiments around it. When you look at sort of a, at, a, at a high level, uh, the stage of the affordable uh, housing market inside South, South Africa, can you give us, you know, some insights on what we're looking at, the size? I mean, when you were sharing earlier, even the size, I was I, I didn't realize that that was the scale that we're at. Perhaps you share with us some insights when to affordable housing in South Africa?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, I think the, the, the essence of your show is that the property market in South Africa is, is huge and it's important. It's a fundamental part of our economy. It's, it's a critical part of most households' balance sheets. Um, those who do own property, it's a significant part, part of, of their own, own livelihood strategies and so on. So if we look at the whole... Deeds Registry in the country. There's 6.6 million residential properties in South Africa, 6.6 million. Um, And we like to segment that data of the number of the number of properties on the Deeds Registry in terms of value bands that really emphasize the bottom end. So we split that up into five different categories. We talk first about the entry market. Which is properties that are worth less than three hundred thousand rand. Now, normally, when you look in the newspaper, you're not going to find many of those, um, and they're not often talked about. But that is significant. That's thirty-three percent of our of all residential properties in South Africa are worth less than three hundred thousand rand. The next category, the second category, is the affordable market, and that's properties worth between 300,000 rand and 600,000 rand. And at the end of 2019, um, there were 22% of all residential properties in the country were in that band. So that means that we've got 55% of all properties, of all residential properties in the country that are costing less than 600,000 rand. The reason you don't see them is because they don't trade. They trade much slower than the higher value properties. So that's why you would see more about the higher value. The third band is the conventional market, so-called conventional market properties worth between 600,000 Rand and 900,000 Rand. And that's about 15% of all properties, residential properties in the country. Then the fourth category we call the high-end market. And that's properties worth between 900,000 rand and 1.2 million rand. And that's about 9% of all properties. And then what we call the luxury market is properties worth over 1.2 million rand. And mostly, I'm sure the conversation focuses on that segment of the market. And that's just a fifth of all properties in the country, 20% of all residential properties in the country are worth more than 1.2 million rand. So when we segment it that way, we really want to understand what's happening at the bottom end, where low-income people would be able to afford. You would know that since 1994, we've had a national housing subsidy scheme, um, and it's delivered upwards of about 4 million properties or so, RDP properties, so part of the reconstruction and development program, and then later, the, the breaking new ground policy, they were called BNG houses. So the state has delivered somewhere like 4 million. Now that's a, that's a huge number. Of those, 2 million are on our National Deeds Registry, are formally registered on the Deeds Registry. So that is 30% of all residential properties in the country were financed by the state and given away to their current owners for free. So that's a massive transfer from the government to low-income households. Um, Of those, about a million are in the major metros. So they're in cities that are functioning where there's a lot of property transactions. Um, and that's a really significant asset base for the households themselves um, and then also for the cities in which they're operating, because that this is stock that has been built and delivered over the past, what, 20, 26 years
0: or so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You the, know. What- I, mean, have, no, I think, this, yeah as, as, as you were sort of breaking down that market segment, you're correct. I think oftentimes, uh, especially in the big metros, when we talk about, and even in mainstream media, when we talk uh, about know property and property transactions we do tend to focus a lot on certain segments and i mean we even see this in in the data right in terms of which properties were traded and what was the value of those properties and as you rightfully point out when you look at properties below that 300k mark you tend to just typically not see a lot of activity at all i mean in in that segment across you know different metros to the point where you when you go when people go on a private property.co.zn, you even do a scaling of, you know, from lowest to highest, you're really going to be finding a property that's listed um, with that amount. And sometimes when it is, you you know, sort of question, I mean, if you see a house, let's say in in the township, or you see an RDP house in particular, uh, you know, in the township that is being listed, suppose, for for instance, for 180,000, a part of you... thinks this looks suspect you know how could that possibly be and and i'm keen to hear then from you what what you've been seeing in terms of you know the research and the data that you've got when we then look at the rdp resale market because i think it's, it's one of those spaces that has been very contentious and, and I say contentious because we know what, you know, on the one hand, what the policy says when it comes to RTP houses, at which point you take ownership of it, at which point you are able to, uh, for instance, rent it out to somebody. And perhaps when you answer that, we could start with the policy itself and its shortcomings. Uh, when, we, when we look at what people can or cannot do, what it says people can or cannot do um, with the property once it's sort of been handed over to them, and then give us some insight on how the RDP resale market um, in South Africa is currently looking like. Cool. Sure. So, in terms of the national subsidy policy,
1: government was building all of, and has been building all of these houses over the last 20 years, and then the, the, the Housing Act has a clause, Section 10 in it, which is known as the preemptive clause. And what that says is that a household who is a beneficiary of a government subsidized house is not allowed to sell that house for the first eight years, um, sell or otherwise alienate. Um, the reason for that, when that policy was originally put in place, was it was felt that people who would be given these houses, given them for free, Um, might be inclined to quickly flip them for cash. And there was a fear that they would do that and then move back into an informal settlement and then government would be forever building houses and they would never be done with it. Um, It was felt, too, that if there was poor market information, and this is a really critical thing, because at the time when that was developed, there was poor market information, that people wouldn't know what their houses were worth. And so maybe they would flip those houses for way less than it even cost to build them. And there have been lots of stories about that. You've seen that in the press. People talk about it and everyone gets worried. What if somebody sells their house for like 20,000 rand? It's true. People did do that once. I, I can't tell you how many because most of that was informal and so it wasn't documented. Um, but it did, it did happen. However, what we can see is of the formal transactions that do happen on the deeds registry, the prices are are in a a fairly competitive space. And the average transaction price, when we look at all of the transactions that have happened, is about 228,000 Rand Is is the average value of an RDP house across the whole deeds registry. Obviously, it'll be higher in some in, in some metros and much lower in other areas because it relates to the property market itself. Um, but an area, for example, like Kailitsha in Cape Town um, has been one of the fastest appreciating neighborhoods in in the city for 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 some time. And that's partly because it's coming off of a low base. Um, but also because those property values are growing. They're growing because people have been in the properties and investing in them themselves, but also the city has been investing in the roads and the sewerage and the transport links. And then maybe a shopping mall gets developed or something else. So over time, properties do appreciate and they've been improving in value. Um, We do find that there's still a lot of inclination to sell properties informally. Um, And in some cases, that's people trying to escape the preemptive clause. So the way the policy works is if you want to sell your house within the eight years, you have to offer it first back to the state. The downside with that is the state doesn't often have someone to receive your offer. They just don't have an official who can do that. Some provinces can, and you can apply. For example, in the Western Cape, you, know, you can apply for a waiver, and there's a process that you go through, and they process that. In other provinces, there re- there's nobody to talk to. And so the person's stuck. Then there's, there's a whole lot of media that says, no, you're not allowed to sell it, and it's illegal. And so they just, you know... We'll sell it informally. That's a really bad idea, actually, because we've seen that there are cases where somebody sells it informally. Ten years down the line, the seller comes back and says, "Well, you know, my name's still on the title deed. It's not a proper sale if you don't sell it formally and have it actually transferred within the with, within the deeds registry." So that's that. That is a huge problem. However, there are households and properties that are selling informally, some of them even with mortgage finance. And, and lenders are becoming increasingly interested in supporting this segment of the market. Um, they see it as the first rung of a property ladder. And so you can imagine what, what
0: I get really Zama, i might be like running ahead i'm sorry but no no please i mean this i think if anything and and i'm even seeing the viewers at home um oftentimes as i was saying to you even off air when we talk about when we talk about affordable housing um we have all kinds of of our own i think notions and, and and assumptions that sometimes unfortunately isn't backed with actual data and what we're seeing and and so even as you were you know talking about um having a property obviously being if you want to sell it within that eight-year period as far as the policy is concerned for instance you're actually supposed to first give it to the state one of the things i i would have wanted to even you know find out what percentage if, if at all do you see of you know households where they want to sell within that eight-year period and and know that they will say shouldn't be selling and instead do opt to rather uh, try to hand it back to the state? I mean, is that something that we're even seeing? Or it's just one of those things that it's a policy, it's there, it you know, it it, it, it reads beautifully, but we're not seeing that happening. Because as you're saying, we we see a lot of sales and transactions uh, in RTP houses. Even one of our viewers, Lindy C. Chabella, on our Facebook page saying, we've seen a lot of people wanting to sell their RTPs to an extent that they don't involve agents. And so some of them want to, you know, DIY it um, as much as they can, and you know, don't use an agent, uh, and and really even keen on how they end up doing it. Especially when you say that there are instances where informal sale is happening, and you know, there's even finance uh, from you know financiers that comes on board. That okay, if just from a sort of high level, how do we see that playing out? I mean, I know that we could probably get you know very granular and that's not the purpose for 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 this conversation but i'm sure people at home have this perception that usually when you when you want to buy an rtp house especially when it's still within that eight-year period if you're going to do it you're buying cash and sometimes even when it's post that eight-year period and you know this is the rightful uh, seller people are still like Doing it cash is pretty much, and and you're shaking your head. I'm going to let you come in, as you shake because we also know the horror stories, right? Where people have had, whether it's hundred and twenty thousand rand cash, you have, you know, uh, mothers or fathers cashing in their pension and saying this is going to be a home for my family, and those stories, unfortunately, um, you know, don't end with a, with a family having a home for for themselves so perhaps just take us through a bit of that because i i can already see that even our viewers at home probably want to be able to to connect some of those dots yeah so
1: let me first tell you quickly about this transaction support center that we that we work with it's it's an advice office um, that's operating currently virtually um, was originally based in in Kailicha. Um, and we have a Facebook page the transaction support center um, and and that really is established to assist households in in making their decisions around how to enter into a transaction whether they're the buyer or the seller and to really support the need to do it formally you have to do it formally and I hope you will you will interview um, the people from the transaction support center because they, deal with clients every day and they see some of the horror stories. They also see some of the success stories and there are some. So it is a process that can be mediated and and, and managed. Um, Within the eight year resale restriction, I can't tell you how many people actually apply for the waiver. That data isn't collected by anybody Um, and it would be so good to know. Um, I don't even know if the phone gets answered when when somebody tries it. I know in Cape Town it does in in the Western Cape because they've focused on that, but i'm not I'm not aware of it in in other provinces. Um, and then if people sell informally, they really put themselves at risk. Well, if they buy informally, they're especially at risk. Um, it's for the buyer it's that that's where the problem is. But for the seller, actually, there's a real reason to sell, and we've, we've looked at the data. So this data that I've been quoting to you, we, we buy that data from Lightstone, um, and then we analyze it specifically for this market. And what we did was we selected all of the properties that, that we identified as having been government-subsidized properties, and we compared those that sold with a mortgage to those that sold without a mortgage. So these are all formal transactions recorded on the deeds registry. Well, in in 2019, there were 30,221 sales of RDP units formally without a mortgage. And the average sale price was in the order of just over 100,000 rand per property there were 3,899 properties that were RDP properties that were sold with a mortgage, and the average sale price was just under 450,000 rand. So probably the houses that were sold with a mortgage were probably better better kept up. They'd probably been improved upon or invested in or so on, um, and they were mortgageable dwellings that the that the lender agreed that they could they could attach a mortgage to. Um, but at the same time, because there was finance involved, the buyer could amortize that cost over a longer period of time so they have higher affordability. Someone is buying with cash. They're taking the money from their back pocket or from a third party payout or something like that. And their affordability is constrained. Um, the, proper, the properties that trade without a mortgage, of course, they trade faster um, because you can do that quick and get it sorted. Mm. But I would like sellers to actually pay attention to the real opportunity here, um, that there is a difference between selling without a mortgage and selling with a mortgage. My understanding is that when a property sells without a title deed, the value is even lower. So the value of selling a property formally with a title deed is that you get a better return. And from the buyer's perspective, because they can amortize it over time, it's actually even more affordable, even though the price is higher.
0: Uh, we are taking your questions and comments this evening as I'm in conversation uh, with uh, with Rust, who's the Executive Director of the Centre for Affordable Housing. We're looking at the RDP resale market and taking your questions and comments at home. Um, I see the, the first question is coming through from our Instagram, Kersia, uh, asking, and this one is coming from... Um, it's coming from a beat medicine essay saying, "What's the name of the properties that are below the 300k mark?" So you're doing that nice breakdown. Uh, I think it's the entry entry level. It's called it the entry level market.
1: Yeah, I mean, we we came up with those names, but but it's a good way of segmenting at the lower end. Normally, we say everything below a million is like. That that's the affordable. Well, there's a lot of variety in that market. Mm. And you could start to imagine that somebody earning less, someone earning less than, uh, well, between 3,000 and like 7,000 might be able to afford a property that costs less than 300,000 Rand. Well, right now, today, the cheapest newly built house, we, we check this out every year. What is the cheapest house that's built brand new on the market? Um, Last year, November, the number was 538,000 rand, was the cheapest house. So the RDP resale market is really important because it's a rung on the property ladder below that, which means lower income people can start to access it. It's also worth knowing that if you're a first time home buyer, um, if you've never owned a property before, you can actually access the finance linked subsidy to buy that house. Um, and if you link that with a mortgage, then it actually becomes a, it, it becomes a real possibility. Um, so that is really what's so exciting. We've got, if you look at, I've told you that we had 2 million RDP properties on the deeds registry, right? And a million of those are in the major metros. Of those 850,000, I'll just double check the number quickly here. 800 and, um, yeah, about 50,000 are, sorry, 905,000. So of the million that are in the major metro, 905,000 are older than eight years. So they're, they're not within the preemptive polls. They could be sold. Right now, the churn rate in that market is less than 1%. If we applied, if if, if people transacted in that market in the same way as the national average, so the national average churn rate was what, about just under two and a half percent or so? Um, If you applied that just to these houses, that would be about 25,000 transactions every year. And I would argue that from a policy perspective, if that's happening below the cheapest house, while that creates an opportunity for purchase for a buyer to come in, it creates a deposit that the seller has to buy the next house.
0: We are, we're going that to end up having more activity, right? Because I think part of, part of, I think part of certainly from my perspective, part of my frustration when I look at the you know the housing market um, and especially the the lower end market is. There are people who are within a certain income level who um, would probably be able to have means of you know paying for the mortgage if there was one that was available. Of course, also using um, you know making use of the flip subsidy. The reality though is that we're not having stock on the market that they're even able to access. Um, and access in in a you're going to privateproperty.co.za and whether it's you know a new development with that particular price point for instance, and not having to wonder or stress that you know the is an RTP house, is it, uh, you know, a legal sale or whatever the case is. So we're still not um, adequately, you know, servicing that market and they are there. And I think one of the other big things with um, where we look, where, when we look at RTP houses within the big metros in particular is you've now potentially created, uh, we'll say potential wealth for that family, because there are ways that they can also unlock um, you know, some of that money, whether it is a matter of they now want to sell that property and sell it, uh, we'll say with formally, where they end up putting it up and the price is $480,000, for instance. And there is an alternative accommodation that they're able to view and access um that they want to, you know, get. And perhaps in that eight-year period, some of them may have uh, done slightly better economically. Perhaps now, you know, family members are slightly older, so they're also able to help out in terms of accessing um, a slightly, you know, higher-priced property. So I think there certainly is a a lack of imagination, but also just... Under servicing um, that market almost altogether, and and it, it's there. We're not servicing it, as opposed to it being an instance where it doesn't exist and uh, we can't even make a business case for it. Because the reality is, we can make a business case for it. Why are we not adequately, you know, servicing that market? I think, and and that for me is. Probably the the failure on all sectors, and not just government, because even with government and 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 those provisions within the policy, when we look at where we are in 2021, one could argue, well, we we know why it was there from the beginning, but now when we look at where we're at, perhaps uh, you know a policy amendment is needed. Then also, even from the private sector. Um, when it comes to servicing the affordable housing market and and creating, we'll almost say a value chain where somebody could move from, you know, house and, you know, a different house and it's priced adequately. Um, We're still not seeing that on the market, whereas the demand uh, is there. Uh, Here, it's a a matter of lack of supply, which I think is, is quite unfortunate, particularly in the big metros, where we also know there's only so much space we're going to have, right? It's not like in rural areas. Here, there's only so much space in it. We're building for, we're overbuilding for a segment that is, is just thinning out more and more and more. Yep. And we keep building for that segment as opposed to thinking, listen, there, there's a whole other segment that can be catered to where it would make business sense um, if we entered into that. But I'm, I'm getting worked up because this is one of those topics I'm very passionate about and, and, it, it's, it's, and it keeps me awake at night. I think affordable housing is actually one of those things that keeps me awake at night. I want to read some of the, some of the comments uh, that we've got through on our Facebook page. We've got Nong Vulamad saying, saying here in Everton, people were selling um, from 90,000. This would be RTP houses. I know it would be tough, but selling a property is not a good idea. And I think that just speaks to, you know, sometimes you definitely don't want to be selling a house for ninety thousand rands, um, mm-hmm. and and this speaks to what you were saying, you know, earlier, Kissa, that when you're then doing it from an informal perspective, you find that even the pricing, you know, tends to be driven down, and the person who's buying it also drives that price down, right? Because they're thinking, well. I've got 90k cash. Uh, I'm assuming you, you know, you've never had 90k cash in your bank account. Therefore, I'll stand on this offer. Whereas, if we're going the formal route, getting you know financial institutions involved, then it's a different ballgame uh, altogether. We've got Upalina Kosi saying many instances the RTP houses are abandoned by owners for many years. Palisa Zameni Lekodi saying this is very tricky. There's almost no way of monitoring the unlawful selling of RTP houses prior to the eight-year period, uh, and and you know because. As as we round up, because I can already know we're going to invite somebody uh, else from from the Centre for Affordable Housing uh, when we kind of look at, I'll say, the nitty-gritties of, you know, the sale process, what people should be looking out for, because I'm already seeing some of those questions coming out. So I promise you at home, uh, we'll definitely uh, have a a different conversation uh, where we now look at, uh, because right, this conversation we're looking at what the state of the market is and really getting a good sense that we haven't covered on the show. So next time we're going to be looking at the more intricate details, um, especially with people who deal with this on a day-to-day basis. When we look at, Chris, as as we wrap, when you look at the, you know, the, re, the RTP resale market, I think what would you say are some of the, what's the potential for, for that market? I mean, we've already started talking about it, you know, slightly about, where where the future potentially could be if at the very least we actually adequately catered um for that market and by that market i mean people who would be in the market for affordable housing Um, what are some of the things that we can do better in order to better service that market
1: I mean, I think a a critical issue is market information um, and and really to recognize the potential and the opportunity. Some of the banks are really beginning to to, to recognize that and to say that they will engage. So many people, often they, they don't even bother going to talk to the banks because they think the banks won't talk back to them Um, and that's changing and I think people need to 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 recognize that there are a whole lot of policy issues that need to be addressed Um, um, there are are urban governance issues as well that need that need to be addressed but I think a lot of the power is in the hands of the buyers and the sellers to say we are going to insist on a formal property transaction process um, and we're going to do what it takes to achieve that Um, Getting to that point and recognizing that there's value in these properties, if we get to that point and people who have, the 2 million households who have become beneficiaries and of properties that are on the deeds registry, those are real assets. And even if just a small percentage of those transact, right, because not everybody is ready to do it or wants to, or or whatever, but even just a small percent, 2% of those transact, um, you're going to start to see some movement in the market that will create the supply you're asking for from the existing stock we already have. Um, And that's going to target what we've been calling the gap market People who've net, they earn too much to get an RDP house, but too little to afford a new build bond house. So that's households earning between what? Three and a half thousand and probably 15, 18,000 Rand a month. Haven't been able to buy anything. They can now buy in this market that then creates a seller who has a deposit to buy the next thing, which means that the developer can say, I have a wider collection of buyers who are coming to me, and they can raise the finance to go and build more units. We are building far too few houses in what I sort of collectively call the working class market, properties that are worth less than, than 600,000 Rand. We're not building enough. Even though the state is building in, in the below 300,000 Rand, that three to 600,000 Rand, there's not enough happening at all for, for the size of our population and the, and the profile of our population. Um, that can only be facilitated if you have this resale market that creates uh, entry-level buyers who have equity that can then buy the, the next rung up. I think it's... I mean, we're sitting here in a post-COVID environment. We need to build the economy of this country. This is domestic growth powered from within that we could really stimulate a whole economy on the basis of this. Our state doesn't have the money to invest as, as, certainly as much as we think is needed um, in terms of subsidized housing. This approach leverages the investment the state has already made. Um, and really supports households being able to improve and, and access the value in the assets that they have right now.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: there's lots of of material on our website. All of these, all of the statistics we've talked about. Um, there's reports and so on. And I'm very happy to receive emails too. Um, but it's been really, really nice talking to you.
0: No, because it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, you know, talking to you. I think this is one of those issues. I, I am, I'm a big visitor of the website. Uh, I, I tend to nerd out over, you know, different reports <laughs> when it comes to uh, housing in South Africa and other emerging markets. And, and, and this is really is one of those conversations that keep me awake at night because we are not servicing. Uh, We'll say the majority, really, actually, of the country. And and it's a ticking time bomb in so many different ways because the reality is not everybody is going to get to the point where they're able to afford, uh, you know, houses in the 600 or property. Because we also know that more often than not, the 600 plus band, certainly in the metros, you're looking mostly at an apartment as opposed to, for example, a house. And so when we when we look at that not every South African will necessarily get to a point where they reach that price point um, when we're looking at you know income levels in the country and so it, it's almost as though we're also sending a message then to people in certain income levels about um, whether they ought to be able to access home ownership or not you know uh, access it. And I think in many ways, it's a ticking time bomb. So thank you so much for for joining us this evening. We're certainly going to have one of your colleagues to come back to us when we look at, uh, we'll say the nitty gritties of uh, resale when it comes to RTP houses, um, how it works. I mean, we've received some really great questions even around timeframes um, when you're selling it. We're definitely going to have a follow-up or certainly a continuation of this conversation as we have a better look at the RTP uh, housing market. Uh, but said, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And that is Kersia Rust, who's the Executive Director of the Centre for Affordable Housing, wrapping up the Wednesday edition of the Private Property Podcast with myself, Uzamanto Kumalo. It has been a pleasure to be with you on the show. I'll be back on your screens tomorrow evening at 7pm, but you can look forward to SD Clarkson bringing you the First Time Home Buyer Show at 8pm. Until then, hoping you're staying home and staying safe.